0: Life uh, is entitled The Practice of Godliness uh, by author Jerry Bridges. And in that book, uh, Bridges highlights uh, the importance of giving thanks in the Bible. And uh, I've got a quote for you here I want you to take a look at. Bridges says, uh, in Chronicles, the Levites were to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord. In the Psalms, he says, there's something like 35 references to giving thanks to God. Paul stops to give thanks while he's writing his letters about 18 times. And on 10 other occasions, he tells those of us who are reading his letters to give thanks. In all, he says there are approximately 140 references in the Bible to giving thanks to God. Thankfulness, he says, is no minor principle in God's sight. In fact, he says it is absolutely necessary... To the practice of godliness. Now, I agree with that statement, but that word necessary, absolutely necessary, catches my attention. And one of the reasons it does is because uh, the father of uh, the Protestant movement, Martin Luther, taught us some things about what he called law and gospel. And um, these are some of the things he told us to look for when we're reading scripture. He says, first of all, Uh, Law, when you read the Bible, doesn't just mean the Old Testament or even the Mosaic law. It means every verse in Scripture that's approached in the wrong way. And then he goes on to say, Gospel doesn't just mean the New Testament or the message of salvation. It means every verse in the Bible approached in the right way. And then he adds every verse in scripture has the ability either to kill me or to make me alive it all depends on how i try to make it work now with that in mind i want us to take a look at ephesians chapter 5 verses 19 through 20 to give an example of what martin luther was talking about and to see if we can draw some applications that, that work for us in this thanksgiving time i just want to make three quick observations Observation number one in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 19 and 20 is that this verse actually consists of two illustrations. The illustrations are in verse 19. Illustration number one is, Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, that's sort of the horizontal dimension. Someone has described Christianity as the singingest religion in the world, and it is. We've got thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of hymns. We always have had. We've always been a singing people. And one of the things that we do when we sing is that we're singing to one another. We're ministering to one another. We're speaking to one another. This whole idea of psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms, well, the psalms appear to be, oh, you know, references to the Old Testament psalms. And so sometimes we'll have a song that's based on an Old Testament psalm. And that's a good thing to do. Then the hymns, a little more difficult to identify, but if you look back up in chapter 5, verse 14 in the book of Ephesians, you see how that's indented if you have an NIV where it says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That may be an example of the kind of thing Paul's talking about when he's talking about hymns. He he wants us not just to express Old Testament psalms, but he wants us to use poetic meditations with one another and you'll see these they occur throughout scripture Philippians chapter 2 is an example Jesus uh, uh, who was equal with God uh, didn't consider equality with something to be grasped but gave him and, and then there's this big poem that explains all of that and there are several places like that that happens in the New Testament New Testament is filled with that A third one is spiritual songs. Actually, the word there is odes. And you most often see odes in the book of Revelation. You're reading along and you'll see some of those big statements that come. uh, And then after those big statements, you'll see a little song or an ode. Or someone said, you know, maybe it's even like a snatch of spontaneous praise. So speaking to one another horizontally, that's an illustration of something. Now, the second illustration of something is his next phrase in verse 19. He says, Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. That's the vertical dimension. If the horizontal is we're speaking to one another when we sing, the vertical is that we're also addressing our Lord as we sing, and we're to address Him from the heart. In fact, the way this was described by one commentator, he says, This is the heart's inner melody that keeps in tune with our audible praise. So we're not just mouthing words. We're not just singing poetry. We're actually feeling what we sing. Now we feel that and we express it differently. Some people will raise their hands and some people will close their eyes. And we do that in all different expressions, but keeping the heart in tune with the melodies we sing and we address that to God. Now those two things are illustrations. Singing this way to God and to one another are illustrations. But illustrations of what? Well, that brings me to observation number two. And now I look at the next verse. I think they're illustrations of what it means to give thanks. You see that verse there? It says in verse 20, always giving thanks. But the thing I want you to notice about this verse something that we tend to read over, something that brings us back to Martin Luther's words, is that this is a totalitarian kind of expression. Totalitarian, I mean, it's very demanding. It demands a lot from us. Let me see if I can explain to you. He says, I want you to give thanks always. Now, that means not most of the time. That means not 99% of the time. Always means always. I've seen some translations that say constantly, but that still doesn't help me a whole lot because constantly means constantly. And if you take that at face value, if you take it as law, it kills you. If that's God's command to always be this way, to constantly be this way, well, then one slip and I'm a dead man. One slip and I'm done. That's law. Now the other thing in this verse, it says not just always, but it says always in the heart. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the heart, we saw earlier in the verse, in verse 18. So, again, there's this problem of the 100%. Not most of my heart, not 99% of my heart, all of my heart, all of the time. That's what this verse is saying. One slip, and I'm a goner. One slip, if I handle this verse incorrectly, if I treat it as law, it kills me. I mean, who lives like this? Who does this, being honest with one another? There's that next phrase in there, for everything. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm thankful for some things. I may even on some days be thankful for a lot of things. But for everything... And even if I translate the little word for as an in, okay, well, I can't be thankful for everything, but maybe I can be thankful in every circumstance. Well, that's still a pretty major deal, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Two of us has always been thankful in the depth of our heart for, or even in, everything. I have to confess to you, not me. If I have to read this as law, I'm a dead man. But you know what? I'm not finished because I skipped something. It says I've got to do all this to God the Father. In other words, I'm not the judge of whether I've done this often enough. I'm not the judge of whether I've done this deeply enough. I'm not the judge of whether I've done this constantly enough. I've got to do this before God the Father, and He's evaluating my performance. If I read this passage as law, it's like a story I once heard about a man Died, went to heaven. You know how these stories go. St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates and he says to him, look, this is how it works. You need a 100 points to get into heaven. You tell me all the good things you've done and uh, I'll give a certain number of points to each of those items that you list and depending on how good it is, we'll add it all up and when you reach 100 points, then you can come into heaven. Oh, okay, the man says, Well, I was married to the same woman for, you know, 50 years, and I never cheated on her, not even once. Peter says, Married to the same woman 50 years. No cheating. Three points. Hmm three points well okay the man says uh, well I attended church uh, all my life thinking he's going to slip one past Peter here I attended church all my life and I supported the ministry I gave my tithes and my offerings and, and I even served in the church and I did this regularly and Peter says attended church and gave one point and then the man says, oh, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. How, how about this? I started a soup kitchen in my city, and I worked, uh, uh, I worked in a shelter for homeless veterans. Uh, Peter writes down, soup kitchen, shelter, two points. Two points, the man cries. I give up. At this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. You get it. You get it. I like the way someone recently put it. He says, For most of us, life is like one big survivor episode where we're all trying to convince God and everybody else why we're not the ones that should be kicked off the island. You see, then, why this notion of thanksgiving as absolutely necessary raised a question mark for me. Taken at full value... It's a word of law, and taken at full value, it kills me. By the standard of the Bible, we always come up short, Christian and non-Christian alike. What we all need is grace. Luther described it as gospel. And he taught us to look for grace in every single command in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, not just at the beginning of the Christian life, but all the way through the Christian life. And I think Martin Luther was absolutely right on that point. The gospel, I believe, is not just the ABCs of Christianity the gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. You never outgrow the gospel. You always need grace. So then, if that's true, how do we read Paul's totalitarian demand to be thankful as gospel, as grace? And frankly, I think it brings us to the Part of New Testament moral- morality, the very genius of what makes New Testament Christianity so different than every other kind of religion or religious attitude in the universe, in this world, this is what makes us different. So, observation number three, you see it there at the end of verse 20, give thanks to God the Father for everything, and there it is, in the name of our Lord Jesus Now, I don't know if you underline your Bibles, but it's that word name that's really important. The word name is really critical because the word name refers to all that a person stands for and it refers to all that a person has achieved and in this case it's all that Jesus stands for and in this case it's all that Jesus has achieved. Christians can only meet the totalitarian standard of thankfulness on the basis of what Jesus stands for and on the basis of what He has done and in accordance with what He is and so let's just review for a second. Jesus lived the perfectly thankful life I couldn't live. He lived it always. He lived it for everything. He lived it from the heart. Now, Pastor Rick has been teaching us on Tuesday nights, those of us that have been meeting in elders and some of the other men that have been gathered around in a leadership study that this is what's known as jesus's Active obedience. This is the life of Christ. This is why it was so important that Jesus lived a sinlessly perfect life. He always lived like this. I couldn't. He did. This is his active obedience. Now, the second thing Jesus did, Jesus paid for the debt of all the instances of my thanklessness that I couldn't pay. Those days I grumbled, those days I couldn't muster it up, those days I couldn't get quite to the right attitude, the days I couldn't get to 100%. Jesus died on the cross to pay for all of that. That's what Pastor Rick would tell us is Christ's passive obedience. As he was on the cross, he was not just he had lived the perfect life so that when he died for my sins, he could give that life to cover for what I couldn't pay for. Jesus' passive obedience. Which brings me to the third thing here. When I believed in Jesus, Jesus gave me the standing of a thankful person that I couldn't achieve. There it is. I now stand in Jesus Christ. This could be called justification by faith, if you wanted to get real technical about it, but it's the justification of my works by faith. It's the justification of my thanklessness by faith. It's not just that I am justified by faith. It's that all of the works that I do come up short. And therefore, they need to be justified by faith as well. In other words, they need to be covered by the death of Christ on the cross. And then that brings me to the fourth point. Having done these first three things, Jesus now sets me free to live in the thankful direction God's holiness and love for me demands, but with none of the penalty. No penalty. There is, therefore, now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. there is no penalty, no penalty, none gone because of Jesus. Well, uh, does that mean I can't lose fellowship with God? No, you can step out of fellowship with God, and that's why first John one nine is in the Bible. Confess our sins, is faithful and just, forgive us our sins, and restore us to fellowship. Um, Does that mean that I never lose joy? No, you can lose joy. And that's why Psalm 51, verse 12 is in the Bible. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Does that mean I can never lose my testimony if I'm thankless? No, you can lose your testimony. People can look at you and they can see that you're not measuring up to the Christian standard. All those things can happen. So it's very important for me to live in this direction that is being spelled out for me here. But no matter how I try to measure up, I can't. I'm covered by grace. And so, it's not a word of law to me. The Bible tells me I do this for my own sake, for the sake of others, but not to earn anything, not to achieve anything, not to try to gain anything before God. This is just the path that I am freed to live toward. How... Does being accepted in the beloved, accepted in Jesus Christ, then produce good works in me? Now, if I'm free from penalty, if there's not everybody ever, if I'm never going to be spanked for doing wrong, if I'm never going to have to pay a penalty, then why would I do something like be thankful? Well, I don't know that I have all the theological answer for you here, but I think J.D. Greer gives us a good answer in his book, just simply entitled Gospel, and it goes like this. He says if you've ever watched one of those epic movies, now he refers to the epic 2010 blockbuster Avatar. I've not seen the movie, but I guess it's got little blue Smurf people in it, and one of the guys, you know, kind of fell in love with one of them. He says the plot is always basically the same. You have some loser guy with no purpose in life, no direction, no courage, but then he's swept up into some great, thrilling drama in which he experiences real danger and encounters real beauty and is really changed. He returns to his own world. He's now a different person. He's no longer afraid of normal dangers. Why? Well, he's seen real danger, and he's overcome it. He's no longer dominated by everyday temptations. Why? Well, because he's tasted real beauty and he's been captured by it. And then Greer says, that's what happened when you meet God in the story of Jesus Christ. You get swept up into a story of such cosmic drama and beauty that you're forever changed. Your behavior is radically altered because you've tasted and seen something from a completely different world. And isn't that what passages like Romans 6 and Titus chapter 2 are attempting to say to us? So Paul is preaching along in Romans, and he says, You know, where where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Well, there's a lot of sin. That's where grace came in. Well, then somebody could raise the objection. Well, if that's the case, why don't we just sin freely? Why don't we just sin sin like crazy? If grace always comes when we sin, then the more we sin, the more grace. Paul says, You don't get it. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live any longer in it? And then he goes and he tells us the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He says, now you've been caught up in this story. By faith you've been united to this story of Jesus. Now, you can't live that way anymore because the story of Jesus, what's happened with Jesus, has changed you. Do you see that there? Now, then there's this other passage. It says it equally clearly, I think. Titus chapter 2. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, that's Jesus. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And the grace that we see in Him teaches us to say no. Now, not law. It's not law that teaches me to say no. It's not rules that teach me to say no. Although the rules are helpful for me to know how to walk the way of grace. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So you see, I think Jerry Bridges is right. I think thanksgiving is absolutely necessary to the practice of godliness, but I think the necessity is not a legal necessity. I, if I had to live that necessity, I couldn't. I could never measure That's why I became a Christian in the first place. And that's what it means to continue to be a Christian, not attempting to measure up. You see, the necessity is not a legal necessity. The necessity is a gospel necessity. In the gospel, our Father says, Because of Jesus, you are my child. I love you. I am well pleased in you. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to gain. Now, to experience the fullness of my joy, here's the direction I want you to live. Be thankful always for everything from the heart. I think that's a wonderful foundation for the celebration of Thanksgiving that we have tomorrow. It's the Christian foundation for thanksgiving i'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me this evening as we close we're going to read together in unison a marvelous psalm i want you to look toward the very end there's going to be the word horn at the very end and when you see that word horn you think jesus and that's going to give you a feeling for how how we're supposed to bring our thanksgiving to god so reading with me in unison Begin, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights above, praise Him all His angels, praise Him, all His heavenly hosts, praise Him, sun and moon, praise Him, all you shining stars, praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies, let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created, He set them in place for ever and ever. He gave a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do His bidding, you mountains and all hills, fruit trees and cedars and wild animals and all cattle. Small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, you men and maidens, old men and children, let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. He has raised up for people a horn, there's Jesus, the praise of all His saints, of Israel, the people close to his name. Praise the Lord. Let's pray, and then I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and dismiss us with a song. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've given us the path to walk in. You ask us for our own benefit and for the good of those people who watch us day by day to live thankful lives, always in everything, from the depth of our heart as measured by God. You give us that command as a freedom command, as a command of something that gives us life and hope and liberty, not as a legal command that kills. It only kills us when we interpret that verse in the wrong way, that we think we can measure up. And Lord, we've learned that we cannot. It's only by Your grace that we become Your children. And once we have that grace, not only do we have thanksgiving, but we have righteousness and peace and joy and hope and all those things that go with it. Lord Jesus, we thank you this night, and we pray that you'd make us thankful people all of our lives based on the good news of the gospel that you've given to us freely and ask us to richly enjoy. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: each one is many and
2: just want to take care of a couple uh family matters for the church family and uh, Paul I'm looking back at you and Pat are we going to do some bringing down decorations we've done this I think every year after a Thanksgiving Eve service it's kind of like family at home when you bring out the Christmas decorations if you can stay tonight we're going to bring some of those things down and, and uh, change over the church getting ready for the new season coming up. And then also, some of you have asked about, we uh, uh, have an annual turkey bowl, touch football, that takes place on Thanksgiving morning behind the church here at 8.30. So if any of you are interested in participating in that too, uh, we will invite you to come uh, join the group that's going to be out here uh, tomorrow morning at 8.30. But again, uh, thank you all for coming, and thank you, Jim, for a good word tonight for us as well. Happy Thanksgiving.